Thank you, Adam. Um, I could talk a lot about Adam, but we, we don't have time to list what a wonderful guy he is. Uh, hey, lovely to see you all. Thank you, Hazel. Thank you, ladies. Uh, so, look, today is on the Irresistible Church. Thank you very much, gentlemen at the back. Ho ho. Uh, so, I'm going to start you with an opening question so you can talk a little bit more. I, I think it's, it's really good to, uh, to hear what you think and to have at the forefront of your mind uh, what we're about to talk about. So, our opening question is what is one thing that you find irresistible about church? And another follow-up one, if you don't like that one, or if you want to go for two, what would make it more irresistible? Please talk to the people next to you. Um, go for it. Go on. Okay. All right. Anybody, anybody want to share? Come on, bring. No way. I, I never noticed that about you. Okay, fair enough. More people like us to connect with. That's cool. Anybody else? Older, wiser people. Not, not that you're non-wise, but just uh, anybody who's, who's had a few more decades. No? More Jesus? Nice. Yeah? Absolutely. Thanks, Trish. Not totally. I don't need to preach today. Thank you very much. But I will anyway, because what are we going to do for the next half hour? <laughs> okay. Uh, by the way, uh, look, all of my pictures are significant. This is a, uh, a house church in the Middle East somewhere. Uh, that, that's church for them, meeting on plastic seats in probably somebody's living room uh, and fellowshipping and getting around the word. It's, it's basic, but, but there's Jesus and there are the people and there's their family. Let's keep on going. Okay, what is an irresistible church? Hands up if you recognize this at all, North Queensland. No? Okay, my wife said, you better explain that. She was, she was right. So this is, this is a picture, um, it's kind of reenactment scene on, on the, uh, the Torres Strait Islands. This is a picture of the coming of the light. That's what the local people call the coming of the light. And it's when the good news came. And one of the tribal warriors of uh, one of the clans confronted uh, this, these two English missionaries in 1875 walking up the beach. And the English missionary just puts up his Bible and goes, Ugh! And the guy stops and he takes it. Uh, if you know the story, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that's going to happen a lot today. Uh, it's a beautiful story because they said, what kept you so long? They had a prophecy that people were going to come and bring a book to them, you know, and this happens and completely transforms that, that island and those group of people. Um, so my first question for myself, and just to define, is what is an irresistible church? At best, we are a community of people uh, that others want to be a part of. We want it to be people in our community go, I, I don't know what, who they are, I don't quite understand them, but man, I want to I be in there. And at worst, you'll get people, or sorry, at very least, we want to be a, a community that people go, well, I don't really agree with them, and I don't think I really want to join them, but my goodness, they have changed this community. And it would be a shame if, if that community of people left us. Okay, that, that for me is what an irresistible church is. 
Why do we want to become an irresistible church? Because we, you and me, uh, and, and the Baptists and the Presbyterians and uh, uh, Atherton Community Ch- City Church and Community Church, and we are the representatives of God to this community. Yeah? <laughs> That's our job. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, he was irresistible. This is kind of a picture of, of what it would have looked like when Jesus... Uh, he was standing on the shore of Lake Galilee and people were crowding him and people were stepping over each other and he had to get into the boat to preach. Jesus was irresistible and we should be irresistible. Hey, not everybody found Jesus irresistible, but a lot of people did. Uh, The second reason we want to become an irresistible church is because we are the community where new disciples are going to be raised to maturity to follow Jesus. And we want it to be that they go, I really love being a part of this community. I've only met a few people. I've only been there for a while, but I really love these people. So, irresistible church, becoming an irresistible church. Uh, moving on. So, I'm just going to talk uh, now about a biblical example of an irresistible church. Uh, and it comes from the book of Acts, the second chapter of Acts. This is when it all happens. So... In one chapter, in one day, it starts in the morning, 120 people are meeting in an upper room. And then the Holy Spirit comes, he rests on their heads, his tongues of fire, he fills them, and then they go out and they miraculously witness uh, to, to the people who are in Jerusalem. They are speaking the language of people from all over the world. They're speaking their languages. They don't know their languages, but they're speaking them. And then Peter gets up to speak and he says, hey, this is what's going on. Our Messiah, our King, our God promised a Messiah, a King, to come. And he came, his name was Jesus, and he is inviting you in. And then at the end of that day, 3,000 people are added to their number. I mean, is that irresistible or what? Yeah, (laughs) it is. So let's read what they were doing. And this description of what that group of people did, I reckon, is exactly the same as what the people, the 120, were doing in the morning. So this is what it says. Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Uh, Sorry, I should tell you, this is from Acts 2, 41 to 47. If you want to get out your Bibles, you can, or you can just read it off the screen. So yeah, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, that is, fellowship with each other, uh, to the breaking of bread, uh, that's communion, what we just celebrated then, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And I, I'm assuming that's everybody who was uh, in Jerusalem at the time as well. And the, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. What does that mean? That means they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts together. They broke bread in their home and ate together uh, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. uh, That that is an amazing story. And um, I think if you were to... Uh, uh, if you were to have a look, if you were standing on the outside looking in at that community and what they were doing, um, I think you'd see 
I'm just going to pick out three things. There's a lot more I could pick out, but I'll just pick out three things. By the way, this picture is of a community of people who reach out to people in the streets in Brazil, uh, and that's their, their, their connection group. Um, so the three things I'm going to pick out, uh, sorry, I'm a bit of an old cold chisel fan. That's why standing on the outside looking in is up there. Thank you, Eric, for recognising that reference. And, and a few other people, nice. Okay, so the three things. One, they reached out in love and in power. You would have seen them doing that. You would have seen them in a very culturally relevant way, saying, hey, God's come, the Messiah that was promised is here, his name was Jesus, and he's inviting us to turn from whatever we're doing and to follow him. Okay, You would have seen them in power, signs and wonders, healing people who were blind, uh, healing the lame, raising the dead, healing the sick. And then as you got a little bit closer, if you went uh, to one of their meetings or you started hanging out with them, you would have noticed that these people really loved each other. They hung out together they, in the temple courts. They hung out at each other's homes. Uh, they called each other brother and sister, okay, which is their family terms, and they considered each other family. They sold possessions to provide for each other. And then if you got really close and you started travelling alongside one of the people who had been disciples for a while, you would have noticed that they had a deep and regular relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to talk about those three things, and uh, I'll stop that. Mangoes are just too distracting for North Queensland people at the moment. Um, but you, you, we'll, we'll talk about those things. I'm going to start in, I'm going to start with the individual disciple, and I'll move out to the community, and then I'm going to move out to their outreach. Here we go. Okay, let's look at the mangoes. Aren't they gorgeous? Now, I'm going to talk about Jesus is talking about I am the vine and you are the branches, but we're living in North Queensland, and I think this image speaks to you a lot, clear, a lot more clearly. Is that true? Okay, sorry to South, South Australians. Eric, again, sorry. Okay, so looking at the internal life of a disciple. Um, the first thing that the people who followed God, who followed Jesus, were called is disciples. They were called, that, that's their first name, which means learner, but in context it means they were people who were following God. <coughs> they were learning to do uh, what it means to follow Jesus. They left everything in a lot of cases uh, and, and they were committed to this new thing. They'd forsaken all other religions, all other gods, and, and this is the way they were going. And, and God is calling us to do the same thing today, uh, every day, to forsake that. Um, where were they getting the script from? How did they know what to do? Well, before he died, before he was raised from the dead, before Acts 2, before the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says this. He says, and I've got it written down, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me, or live in me, and I live in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So that is a picture, this beautiful metaphor of, of what um, God of what their relationship looked like. Now, I've picked more than a few mangoes. I'll make a nice mango chutney. I'll bring in some for you next week if you're interested. 
Uh, but we, we, yeah, uh, we had to pick, my family and I had to pick green mangoes. Any time of the day or night I picked a green mango, sap would pour out of it and burn my fingers. There is not a time when the mango and when the branch is not receiving from the tree. Focus. There's not a time when that is happening. And it should be that with Jesus, there is not a time when we are not receiving. Uh, we, we need to learn how to, how to really uh, receive from God daily. So I heard recently that uh, the best way for somebody who's preaching to make somebody who's listening feel bad is to talk about their prayer life or to talk about their Bible study. And I, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I am not here to condemn you at all. And if you're feeling condemnation that, that comes from the enemy, it's, it's not coming from God. But what I want to do is really, again, invite you, invite you to spend time with Jesus, invite you to spend time inviting him to come and live in you and invite him just being with you. Um, uh, Adam and I are both going to talk about, we're invited to be with him, we're going to talk about Mary and Martha. This is a picture from a movie about Mary and Martha. I did not travel back in time and snap this myself. Uh, but I want you to get a feeling of what it was like. So Adam and I are going to talk about the same thing because we have the same Father, we have the same Spirit, and this is what God does. He, he likes to remind people and talk to people about the same thing again and again through different people who had no idea that they were going to say the same thing. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, so this is, the disciples were invited, it says, and he invited the twelve that they might be with him and then go out. Mary and Martha, the difference between Mary and Martha is Martha goes and she works in the kitchen to, to make the food and there she is in the background. But Mary goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit with Jesus and I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to be with him. Uh, Mary, Martha gets mad and she says, Jesus... Aren't you going to get mad at my sister and send her in here to help me? It's just not fair. Jesus turns around and said, Martha, Martha, you know, hey, there's a lot of things to do, but come and, and join us. You know, Mary has chosen the more important thing and it won't be taken away from her. We, we get so caught up in doing things for Jesus, and, you know, we think that that's what makes Jesus pleased with us. And he, hey, he, he does want us to do things for him. I'm not saying he doesn't. But first and foremost, you and me are invited to be with him. We're invited just to be with him, to sit in his presence, to listen to him, to receive his love. And I think all the things that the people in Acts did, all of the praising God, all of the reaching out and telling people how wonderful he is and, and inviting them in, all of that came from this time uh, of being with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <sighs> Maturity, again, and these people, I believe, were uh, mature disciples. The longer you travel with Jesus, it should be, uh, the, the more mature you are. Sadly, we've, we've all met uh, Christians, um, and, and sadly, sometimes even Christian leaders like me, who are not mature and they might even be incredibly gifted and incredibly amazing but the maturity is something he's really this is from colossians it says him we proclaim warning everybody and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity is our goal, emotional maturity. Um, that, that's what God really wants in us. And it comes again in those quiet times with him. He starts speaking to us in them, and it's worked in, in our relationships as well. Okay, the second thing. So that was disciples. The second thing is looking at us as a community. They treated each other like family, and they had concern for each other like family. And that's a real thing. They didn't just call each other brother and sister and become family just because, oh, I'm going to do this now because it's kind of cool. And a lot of times, uh, you know, if you left Judaism, if you leave uh, Islam, if you leave some of the other religions of the world, your family will disown you. And that's, if you talk to anybody who's ministered in the Middle East, that is the experience of, of people over there. So they adopted this family and they became adopted into the family of God. Uh, and they looked after each other and looked out for each other like the family of God. We, we live in a very individualistic culture. Uh, we, we live in a Western culture, so if you talk like me, watch the same television shows as me, wear the clothes that I do, chances are you have been influenced by Western culture. And it's more individualistic. Why is that? Well, it's because, you know, our, our social institutions have kind of let us down. Families in the Western world are breaking down. Churches are often, you know, responsible for some of that hurt. This wonderful institution created by God, full of people who are, who are broken and sinful themselves. Governments have let us down. I, I'm, we're not going to talk about politics. My dad not, said not to talk about religion and politics. What a disappointment I am as a son. Anyway, <laughs> he'll be watching this later. Um, so all of those, you know, these social institutions have let us down. And people have decided really to go it alone. This is the traits of individualistic cultures. Uh, so we value uniqueness in our culture, which is you are, there is nobody else like you. It's true. It says in the book. We value autonomy or making your own decisions and coming to your own conclusions. We value independence, so not relying on anybody else. And we value self-sufficiency. I can do it myself, I can make it myself. A lot of the heroes of the Western world uh, are supposedly self-sufficient. But, you know, it's, it's a myth. Uh, you know, a lot of the self-sufficient men of the 20th century or 21st century inherited their wealth from somebody else. If you read their stories, Bill Gates inherited a fortune and that's what he worked on. Uh, who else? I wasn't going to say his name. But yeah, it, it, Trump inherited a fortune. Uh, that other guy, Bezos inherited a fortune. Elon Musk, his parents owned an emerald mine. You know, these are, these are not self-made men. And I have seen a lot of my friends just crumble as they try and do things by themselves. It is hard to do things by yourself. It's hard to do things without community. Hey, community versus our world, our community approach, our collectivist approach is this. Yeah, we, we believe in doing things independently, but we also believe in supporting each other. We absolutely value uniqueness. There's nobody else like us, created in the image of God, but created just unique and beautiful. But also... We value and celebrate our commonalities. Uh, we are all created in the image of God. You know, we all have to sleep. We all, uh, you know, you know, if they 
If you cut me, will I not bleed? If you hurt me, will I not cry? Uh, autonomy. My goodness, I've got to say, I'm in my 40s and I, I like making my own decisions and that, but my goodness, I really value older people giving me advice. I will seek out older people and say, how do you do this? How is it that I can raise my children so they stay with Jesus when they're older? How is it that I, that I do my finances? I need that advice from older people who have done it before. And I need, I need, I, I just need that. And I need to consider the people around. So um, there's a healthy interdependence. It is a blessing to be able to care for other people, to support other people uh, in here. Um, uh, so it's wonderful to be able to put a text out and, and say, oh, guys from church, oh, I just need to move a bit of furniture. And uh, even at the worst time of the year, at least two guys just gave me a call and said, you know, how can, how can we help you out with that? We, we need to be a community that supports each other. We need to get to know each other. We need to spend time with each other. We need to invite each other over for lunch. Uh, and, and we need to to bear with each other in that. Uh, and a word of warning, um, community and reconciliation. As we get closer to each other, all the books say and all of your experience says that you, if you move closer to each other, we're going to clash, we're going to disagree. Over the last 10 years for me in Australia, I have seen Australians forget how to disagree with each other and how to still love each other. Isn't that tragic? We should be good at this, people. And we should rediscover that value for the rest of Australia. Um, I've seen, yeah, we just need to be able to forgive each other. This is from uh, Colossians again. I'm reading through Colossians now and God is just speaking to me. But then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, uh, put on then compassionate hearts for other people, Kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive other people as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must forgive. And above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which indeed you were called in one body. This is our way through. Because there's one thing to clash, and everybody clashes, everybody in the world clashes, uh, using our function of emotional maturity as mature disciples in Christ. The next thing that happens is love. After a clash, we need to own our stuff. We need to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that happened. I, I probably said the wrong thing. I'm sorry about that. Um, we, we need to forgive other people quickly, you know, and, and authentically and really. And say, hey, look, please, you know, forgive me, or, or you know, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this this thing against you, because I value our relationship, and and the blessing of having you in my life so much more than the inverted commas peace that I get from not having people in my life and living like a hermit in the woods. Hey, I look forward to having a lot of you forgive me. I'd say uh, forgiving a lot of you, but we both know it's going to be the other way. So. Um, the worship team are laughing because they know what I'm talking about. 
this is something we need to do. And if we can be that sort of community that forgive each other, that welcome each other and that say, hey, it's okay, I forgive you, let's get over it. We have something to offer to the world that is truly irresistible. Reaching out in love and power. So uh, Adam talked about us doing an internship with Vineyard, uh, in Vineyard Churches in, in the UK. One of the things we got to do was a ministry, you'll see on the left-hand side. I'll get to that in a minute. <sighs> love and power. Let's talk with love. Right in the middle is a lady called Liz. If you were here last week, you would have seen her talking. It is wonderful that we have the privilege of reaching out we have the privilege of reaching out to people who, who are at their worst. We are, you know, our children are reaching out to a women's shelter. They're making stuff and they're giving them to them. The guy on the right-hand side, absolutely, the guy on the right-hand side uh, reaches out to street kids in, in Brazil with his wife. So Rachel and Nick Billman, they reach out to street kids. When you reach out to people, particularly if they're in dire need, you were saying the circumstances you were in are wrong. It is wrong that you've been so ripped off by life that you're living on the street. It is wrong that because of that domestic violence and relationship abuse, you've had to be here at the worst time of the year. It's wrong. But we want you to know that God loves you. He loves you and he wants a relationship with you. I had a friend in, in Bihar in India. She worked there as a missionary. She lives back in Tasmania or something now. But she... That's what they used to do. They used to go to a community in India with, as a hospital and they go and they provide free medical care and treatment. And the people would say, why are you doing this? And they would say, because we are followers of Jesus and we believe that you are made in the very image of God and that he loves you. Reaching out in love and in power. So the, the picture over there, it's on the left for you. Uh, so this guy, he came to Healing on the Streets. We'd stick up a big prayer banner that said healing and people would come for prayer. This guy had one leg that was literally that short than the other one that he had to wear shoes like that for all of his life. And over a couple of months, they prayed for him and his leg literally grew out. And uh, yeah, it's pretty clear. That's the picture. And so that's the day that he went, oh... I'm going to get a new pair of shoes. And finally, he got a pair of shoes that were normal and he just held up the old ones that he was getting rid of. We went to Wondekla. We used to go, Narelle and I used to go and pray for people uh, at markets. And we'd pray, we'd pray for this guy who was an atheist. Uh, when you pray for people when, and God shows up, uh, people have to go, whoa, 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 what, what just happened? And they have to reconsider what happened. Now that guy, we said, oh, well, let's just invite the Holy Spirit and, and see what he wants to do. And we pray for this guy. After a lot of talking, we pray for this guy. And something happened for him. He, he didn't know what it was. He felt a bit uncomfortable with it. And we talked to him afterwards. And he talked to me for about an hour afterwards. Um, now we had to go away. Oh, hey, Carl. Good to see you. We had to go away and because uh, Narelle was heavily pregnant, we had Esther and we just haven't made it to go back to the markets. But the next month, apparently, that guy was saying, where are those people? I want to talk to them. Are they, are they still around? We, we really had to reconnect with him as well. So when you reach out in the power of God, just like they did in Acts, just like they're doing in other places in the world, uh, and just like they're doing in other places of Australia, just like Adam's doing last year and probably this year a lot, 
people experience the love of God. The Bible says it is his kindness that leads us to turning back to him. Okay, um, moving on. Uh, so this is, for me, uh, this is the start of a series on the irresistible church. Uh, so from this passage, we can, I've, I've kind of sort of spelled it out as being disciples is one of the things we have to do, learning to be with him daily, to hear from him and be transformed by him into maturity. Uh, loving each other, getting to know each other, uh, relying each other on each other, giving to each other and forgiving each other and serving each other. Hey, Jesus says uh, in that second thing, he says, a new commandment I give to you, and that is you love one another as I have loved you. And this is how people are going to know you're my disciples if you love each other. Not if you go to the same church, not if you do something on a Sunday, not if you go to Wednesday Bible study, not if you like Christian things on Facebook, if you love one another. Yeah? Um, it's, it's that simple. It's, it's that basic. Uh, and also he, uh, no, I'll stop there. Uh, okay, so, and then last thing is, so being disciples, loving each other, and then reaching out in power and love with the good news of the kingdom and inviting people into this community. This is from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. You can check it out anytime you're having trouble sleeping. These are the statistics for Atherton. So on the streets of your town, uh, 1,100, sorry, 1,160, no, 1,000, excuse me, thank you. Oh, teacher aides, yes. Man, those teachers, I'm a teacher. Uh, so 11,625 people in Atherton, uh, that's how many were there last year um, in 2021. I reckon about... And this is, at large, about 700 people out of those 11,000 go to church. It's a lot of people who are doing nothing on Sunday. Take Sunday off one week and just go out. And there's a lot of people just going about the business, not in the community of God. They're probably in communities, but not like this one. Uh, evangelism. I love evangelism. I participate in evangelism. I think it's really important and I think the church is called to evangelism and people are called to evangelism. But the problem with evangelism is you invite people. It's awesome. But that's just a start. People really need to come and be part of a community. We all know that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. It does, you know. It takes a, a community to raise uh, a new Christian, a new disciple to maturity. I love that we have an intergenerational church as well, that we have older people and we have younger people. I just, I really value you guys. I value your lived experience. I value your lived faith. And thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. I know this is your church and everything like You've been coming for a lot longer than I have, but thank you. Um, but look, so evangelism is important, but Having a good church community, an irresistible church community, is even more important. People need a place to grow. I think that God is inviting us to be part of changing that statistic. Yeah? For me, that is the most exciting thing about, about planting new churches or starting new churches, is, is that we are providing and starting that new community. Now, I know that's something that's, you know, 
future, but that's definitely on David's heart. It's on my heart. And, uh, you know, it, let's, let's start with making this an irresistible community. Hey, we're already doing a lot of these things. And this is just a, a, a beautiful encouragement uh, and invitation to, to continue. Uh, did, I, did I say that respectfully enough? Because I mean it respectfully enough, I really do. Hey, listen, I'm going to stop there. This is a series, the start of a series, and uh, David's going to come and talk more. He's had probably one or 2,000 more runs on the board of experience at, at leading churches, so I'm looking forward to what he has to say as well. Can I pray? Yeah. Heavenly Father God, we love you. We, uh, we love being able to worship you and sing out your name at the top of our lungs. We love spending time with you and being in your presence. We love knowing you and being one with you. We pray, we thank you for our brothers and sisters around us. And we pray that we can have more. We can have more love for each other. We pray for more courage to pray for people and to encourage people. We pray just for times alone with you for each other and for ourselves. And we pray, Father God, take us to that place where we become an irresistible church, an irresistible community where we can bring new people in who can grow to maturity in you. We praise you. Thank you for this new year and thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.